thanks for tuning in to the Durban Memorial Baptist Church podcast. We're a group of sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and here you will hear the Word of God. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a privilege to be here again, presenting the Word of God. I missed this last week. Thank you, Brother Roger, once again. for It was excellent. Uh, we, we spent some time now walking through the beginning of Colossians chapter 1. And throughout this series, we've been exploring what it means to be living the Christian life. Today, we're going to find ourselves finishing up chapter one. In the last three weeks of this series, I'll give just a brief summary. We, we took a look at the greatness of Jesus and saw how incredible it is that he would save such an undeserving creature as you and I. When we compare ourselves to the great glory there is in Jesus, who are we? That's really a question uh, that only his grace can answer. It should be clearly noted that coming into a right relationship with Jesus Christ through the grace of God and, and, and faith in Jesus is absolutely the best thing that could ever happen to anyone. It does not get better than being sealed unto the day of redemption and joyfully understanding the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. While it's certainly the most monumental change in our life, it is important to note, though, that it is also not the end of our life. Bear with me here. On April 1st, 1968, the final episode of Andy Griffith showed on CBS. During its eight seasons, it never ranked any lower than seventh in any of the Nielsen ratings uh, going on at the time, and it finished its final season as the number one show in America. Andy was 41 when he decided to end the show, and when he entered his 50s, he found it increasingly difficult for him to find uh, work in Hollywood, and his personal finances, though having that really successful show, got tighter and tighter, and so he and his wife Cindy decided that things would be easier if they moved away from L.A. back to where he's from in North Carolina, and so they put their home up for sale, and they waited for a buyer. But unfortunately, the market wasn't good at the time, and so uh, it wouldn't sell. Uh, And so months passed, and Andy Griffith grew depressed. Cindy said to Andy, maybe this is a good thing. If we move to North Carolina, you may never act again. So uh, day after day, they went to the office of the talent agency that represented Andy, and uh, they would talk with the, uh, the agents that were there. They went and they ate lunch with them, and eventually... The work started to come in. Four, uh, four TV movies that year, including the pilot for Matlock. Uh, and it, it showed that it ended up running for nine years and extended the career of Andy Griffith. Now, even though Andy had already been a part of arguably the biggest show of all time, or one of them to say the least, the biggest show of his career for sure, he still had more acting to do. Now, This is an imperfect analogy for what I'm getting at here. But I want us to note 
that while coming to Christ is the peak of our lives, the biggest, most monumental aspect of our lives, it's important to note that by the grace of God, it is not the end of our lives. In many ways, it's just the beginning. As we walk through Colossians 1, 24 through 29 today, we're really beginning to see what it means to be living out the Christian life. We see that Christ has made us holy, blameless, and above reproach in the previous verses. Uh, And uh, by his sacrificial death on the cross, we're sealed for the day of redemption and given the glorious duty and joyous purpose to participate in until God calls us on glory. As we spoke about a few weeks ago, pressing on in the faith, serving the Lord in our earthly lives is the sign that we have been truly reconciled to God. It's the direct response to being covered by the grace of God. And let me just say, God's grace makes all the difference in our lives. So if you haven't already, please open to Colossians 1. Today we see the direction and the ambition for the life of one who has been redeemed by God. This is particularly exemplified through the testimony of Paul, the author of this letter to the church at Colossae. Now, I want to give us just a brief summation of Paul's life. Paul was Jewish by birth. He was the son of Pharisees, strictly believing and even adding to the law of the Old Testament. He went on to be a lawyer and all signs pointed to him becoming a member of the Sanhedrin, which was basically the Jewish Supreme Court of 71 men who ruled over Jewish life and religion. He was zealous for the faith and this faith did not allow for compromise. It was the zeal that led Paul down the path of Religious extremism, really, in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, we don't have this on the screen, but I'll just note, it says, He began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Paul was a terror to the church, seeing it as a disgrace to the pure Judaism he grew up in. All of this changed when he was on his way to persecute a group of Christians and had an encounter with the Lord. On the road there, Paul was caught in a bright light from heaven. It caused him to fall down on his face. And he heard the words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he replied back to that, who are you? And Jesus answered directly and clearly and said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. From that moment on, his life was very different. He was convinced of the realities of Jesus as Lord. And he committed his life to sharing the gospel and to building up the church in all of these different areas. Now, in the context of our introduction this morning, we should note Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus was absolutely the greatest thing that ever happened to Paul. It it, it doesn't get better than than having that encounter with the Lord. That moment changed him completely. But... He didn't just call that the highlight of his life and give up on trying anything else because nothing else would match it. Stay with me here. Instead, that encounter with Jesus, along with the indwelling Holy Spirit, propelled him to keep going, to keep ministering all throughout his life. Where we ended things last time in this series, we read that Paul is a minister of the gospel. Let us look now at the example he provides for us 
for living our lives for the glory of God. Yes, we come to Christ. It's the best thing ever. But he has given us our lives to do something with. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Go to Colossians 1.24. He writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Here, Paul is talking about the day-to-day realities of being a minister of the gospel. There is suffering. I want to return to that in a moment, but we first must notice the disposition with which Paul is uh, having through his suffering. I rejoice in his service to the Lord. No matter the difficulty, the trial, the persecution, the ostracization, I don't even know if that's a word, Paul rejoices. I want to ask a question for the seasoned Christians among us. Very simple question. Have you lost your joy in the service to the Lord? Is your life marked by the joyous anticipation of the goodness of God? Or are you amongst them frozen, chosen, trudging your way to the finish line? I know Jesus, I'm just going to wait it out for glory. Do you identify with Paul's joy here? Or do you find more familiarity with Old Testament prophet Jonah who had to have his ear tugged to get you to do anything? Pastor MacArthur wrote, A Christian who has lost the joy of the ministry does not have bad circumstances, but bad connections. You You do not lose the joy of serving Christ unless your communion with him breaks down. We see in this verse that Paul's joy is not dependent upon his circumstances. He's suffering. He rejoices in suffering. This means that things are not exactly peachy king for our guy Paul right here. And yet he rejoices. The rejoicing remains. And it remains because he realizes everything is being used for God's purpose. The gospel is being spread. Sinners are coming to repentance He realizes that his life's purpose is to be used for the glory of God. And that is happening even in his suffering. When we look at our lives and we see ourselves as the center, you're never going to be content. When you think that you are the center of your life, that the the, the universe is revolving around you, you will never be content. You will never have joy. This is because when we are self-centered, we are out of alignment with reality. Bear with me here. Christ is the center of the universe. Not Brad Pierce, not Troy, Charlie, we call out the whole role. If we want proof that Christ is the center, go back to Verses 15 through 23. Reread that. I don't have it on the screen right now, but just make a note. It is all from and for him. Putting ourselves where Christ belongs will never feel right. Will never bring joy. Will never bring contentment because it's not right. It is out of reality with the way that God has created the universe. But we have content, happiness, blessed joy when things are as they should be. 
when Christ is at the center of our lives. Paul rejoices in his suffering because he is centered upon the goodness of Christ and resting upon God's sovereign will to use even this suffering for the glory of God. Now, I I want to take a, a note here that we all need to realize. Sometimes we need to get this on Fox News or whatever. The suffering that Paul is going through here is real suffering. Real suffering. Suffering that Christians experience around the world today that most of us do not understand is real suffering. Very few American Christians clung to their faith in Christ despite despite being thrown out of their families. Very few of us risked being beaten for our beliefs. American Christians are not threatened with prison, with unsanitary conditions and being basically thrown in a pit for what we believe. We should not try to falsify and drum up some sort of suffering by confusing it with inconvenience. There very well may be a day in which true persecution and suffering comes our way. And if it does, we should not fear, but instead express the same joy that Paul does here in verse 24. Joy and suffering, I'm just going to do this really quickly, is possible for four reasons. If you want to take notes, you better write fast. Joy and suffering is possible for four reasons. Number one, suffering brings us closer to Christ. We see this in Philippians 3.10. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Suffering also, number two, assures us we belong to Christ. We see this in John 15.18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. We are joined in with Christ through suffering. Uh, Then number three, suffering brings future reward. We see that in Romans chapter eight. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then when we come back here to Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. The last reason we should rejoice in suffering is because suffering can result in the salvation of others. Through Paul's suffering, The church is being built. The church is growing. I suffer for your sake. I rejoice in the suffering that is for your sake. That suffering is for Christ's glory. And thus it gives Paul joy. Now I do want to chase a small rabbit here. When Paul writes, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. When it comes to sentences like this, I often like to say what this verse does not mean before saying what it does mean here. So when when Paul says that he is filling up what is lacking here, he is not saying that Christ's sacrifice needed anything added to it. That Christ's work on the cross wasn't enough. Paul is also not saying that the suffering that he does adds to the suffering that Christ experienced on his way to the cross. Paul is filling up what is lacking in that he was receiving persecution that was ultimately directed towards 
Christ. It was suffering intended for Christ. Jesus has ascended into heaven at this point. Right. But his enemies still wish to inflict uh, insult upon him. When Paul is persecuted, it is really Christ that they are persecuting, that they are coming after whom they want to damage. Christ said, though, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. The suffering Paul is going through is the world ultimately directing that towards Christ. They are rejecting and persecuting towards Christ. We may not be persecuted to the extent of Paul or even those Christians around the world today. But we should know that any opposition we face for siding with Jesus Christ results in our reward. We can know and have joy knowing that his will is being done and that he will reward us in glory. God uses even our persecution, even our sufferings to advance his kingdom. This thought is continued in verse 25. He writes, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul tells the church, that God gave him this position as a minister to the church for their benefit. The stewardship from God was given to him for you, church at Colossae. God gave me this position, this, uh, this, this gifting, this ability so that I could serve you. Now, as a, a rabbit to briefly chase, pay attention to that word stewardship and come back tonight. Okay. We're talking about stewardship tonight, uh, this Sunday evening. We're going to give a fuller examination to the concept of stewardship and make sure you are here with us. But for this morning, we'll primarily focus uh, on the intent of God's gifting for Paul. We, we can think about uh, the full story of Paul's life and see that he was especially equipped by God to serve the role that God had for him. How is that so? Well, he was well versed in the law. He held Roman citizenship. He had a powerful testimony. God used all of these things in, in Paul's life to equip him for the role that would fit God's purpose for Paul. But we got to notice something that often gets lost when we consider the way that God has gifted even us for a service. And let it be known, all of you, all of us with the Holy Spirit have a unique gifting to serve God. We have a unique gifting to serve in the church. But this gifting that I'm talking about is not for personal benefit. The gifting we are given is given so that we may serve others. Paul's gift was given for you, for the church. The stewardship from God was given to me for who? For you. God gifts us not for our own benefit, but to serve others. This is uh, carried on in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, not yourself. Our gifts are given to serve one another as good stewards, come back tonight, of God's very grace. Life with Christ is not lived in isolation. It's life of a vibrant community. We use our gifts to serve one another, ultimately serving God through our service to one another, to stir one another on to love and good works, 
Some of us here uh, are, are here to intentionally seek out others and to pray with them. Others offer the finest words of encouragement I've ever heard. Others are willing to get in the mud and to pull the, the branches off the side of the road out here. But we have to see the interconnected, mutual nature of our gifting. Our gifts are not to build ourselves up onto a pedestal, say, everybody, look at me. I'm so good at this serving stuff. Our gifts are to be used in service to the Lord and for the benefit of his people in the local congregation. Hear me clearly. To be fully living out the life Christ has called us to live in response to the grace that he has shown us, we must be intentionally connected with other believers. We're called to be a part of a congregation. That's why I believe church membership matters. That's why I was so excited to present a new person to join our congregation. We are called to be mutually accountable. Now, I'm not saying that going through a season without being an active church member will remove your salvation. No one can pluck you from the Father's hand. But if we're going to be stewards of the gifting that he has given us, that is done in the context of the local church. We do so contentedly wherever God would have us be. Go back to verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. I want to hone in on Paul's mission here that he expresses as saying to make the word of God fully known. Notice that this is contextually said in regards to the specific people in Colossae. I don't know if this is a a problem that necessarily is within our doors, but I see this around Christendom. We don't have to be a social media influencer to be influential in the kingdom of God. Not all of us, likely none of us, will ever have an international platform to share the gospel with the world. Should that dissuade us from service to the kingdom? Not at all. God did not call any of us individually to complete the Great Commission on our own. He has called us to make the word of God fully known where we are right now. We don't have to try to save the world. That's Jesus's job. We'll never be him. We're called to faithfully serve where he has sovereignly placed us right now. May we start in our neighborhood. May we be faithful right here in Clay's Ferry. Too many individuals are more interested in building a platform than being faithful where they are. No, God has sovereignly placed you right where you are at. Be looking for every opportunity to make his word known to those he has placed around you. Y'all, we got to start taking our Acts 1-8 initiative seriously. You've heard me talk about it before. Going to your Jerusalem, it's a program that we started. And I'll be honest, y'all, I'm not here to beat you over the head, but that thing stalled out. That's an initiative where we go to set up a booth and just pray with people. Pass out free Bibles. I just want to ask some diagnostic questions for you to have right there at your seat. Are we having gospel conversations? Are we presenting the word of God? Are we passing out Bibles? Well, if we aren't, 
We cannot change the past. But may we be resolved to get it right for the glory of God today. What we know is too good not to share. That's exposed in the next couple of verses. Look at verses 26 and 27. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saint to them. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a grace of God it is that the mystery has been revealed to the saints. This use of the word mystery might be a little odd for us, a little confusing, but Paul is not talking about here some sort of secret teaching or rite or ceremony only given to the elite religious figures. The mystery is the reality that Christ, by the Holy Spirit, indwells, lives in all those who believe in him, which is Christ in you. Believers, now, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, are able to understand the things of God. To true believers, it has been revealed that Jesus is Lord. Believers see the great benefit there is in following the Lord, that he is the Lord to the lost. All of this praise, all of this worship, all of this service, all of this stuff is foreign. It's lunacy. The secret counsels of God, which remain hidden from the ungodly, to them, they are a true mystery, as the word is commonly used in English. But when these truths are revealed to the godly, they are understood by them. The mystery is not in the fact that the truths are difficult to interpret, but that they are impossible to interpret until, the, until their meaning is revealed, at which time the truth becomes plain. That happens by Christ dwelling in us. That happens when we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Let me say this a little simpler. To those who know the Lord, to whom Christ is no longer a mystery but a certain truth, to those who know the Lord, they are given the hope of glory. They understand the right order of things, that Christ is the center of the world, of the universe, of all things. When you have seen that Christ defeated death and now dwells in you, how can you not be hopeful? The hope of glory there in the end of verse 27. When you understand that Christ's resurrection from the grave guarantees your own resurrection to glory, how can you not be hopeful when you know that Christ will reign forever and you are his co-heir in glory? How can you not be hopeful? But to those who do not know the Lord, such statements are, are not truth. They're mystery, they're folly. I don't get what you're talking about there. We can only hope that their eyes will be open to see the reality of Christ as Lord. Having Christ in you has an unavoidable response that I want to conclude with today in verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Here is something that should be true for all born-again Christians. When Christ dwells in us, we should not be able to shut up about him. Understanding 
what Christ has done for us undoubtedly and unavoidably results in his proclamation in our lives. Just minutes ago, we were talking about the importance of taking our local missionary uh, initiative seriously. I asked if we're having gospel conversations, if we're giving out Bibles, if we aren't doing this stuff, may we start doing this stuff today. But understand that the initiatives of sharing the gospel with unbelievers is not a burden. It's a privilege. I understand some here today may have never in all their lives participated in such a thing. I understand it might feel new, it might feel different, but please, born-again believer, know that there is no higher calling in your life than to proclaim Him. Him we proclaim. Let me say this, too. We're all proclaiming something. We proclaim the wonderful times we had on our vacation. We proclaim what we thought Coach Stoops could have done better last night. We proclaim the cool places we go out to eat. We proclaim the best deals that we caught on this new Costco sale. We're all proclaimers. So let's stop wasting our time proclaiming the things that will pass away and proclaim the one who was before Abraham, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Christ Jesus, him we proclaim. What does that proclamation consist of? Do we just tell people that we heard about this guy named Jesus and leave it at that? No, we warn and teach everyone with all wisdom. The word warn here in the Greek literally means to put sense in someone's head. Now, I know my mama tried to do that a lot when I was growing up. But we are to warn people. That the sin in their lives is an affront to a righteous God. And that judgment day is coming. People need to know that they are separated from God in their sin. They need to know that there is only one way to the Father, that being the Son. They need to know that Jesus paid the price that they could not pay. People need to know that they need to know the Lord. But this context isn't just given to other people. We talk about these things in the church as well, reminding one another of the seriousness of our sin, holding one another mutually accountable within the body of believers. Believers have the responsibility to look out for each other. We call out sin. We build up in truth. We spur one another on to love and good works. We do all of this centered upon giving glory to God and proclaiming Jesus Christ. It should be the sincere desire of all believers' hearts to become uh, more ourselves and to help others become more like Christ. We mature in our faith as we conform to the likeness of Christ. This isn't done perfectly on this side of glory. But God is glorified when we follow him. When we understand Christ saved us, we understand he is worthy of all our conversations, our missions, our community, and our efforts. That's the sentiment that Paul gives us in the final verse there in verse 29. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Paul toils, that is, labors, works, strives, even unto the point of exhaustion, 
to see people come to Christ and then become more like Christ. Why would he be willing to spend so much energy on this? Why would he use his life this way? Think back on the life of Paul. Before all this Jesus stuff, Paul had it made. He was going to be a high-ranking official. Everyone looked up to him, looked to him for approval on what they were doing. He received honor everywhere he went. But then this Jesus thing happened. And we've seen today that Paul is now suffering, persecuted, toiling, struggling, even into the point of exhaustion. Wasn't it better before? Wasn't it easier to just keep the status quo? Well, it may have been easier, but it was not better. Before his encounter with Christ, Paul may have been powerful, but he was powerfully broken. Now that he has been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, his sufferings are small and his toil worthy endeavor. Paul rejoices to see that his efforts are used to help grow the church in Colossae. The same can be said for all churches that he helped to start. There was struggle, there was toil involved, but it was worth it for the glory of God. But pause with me one more time here. Never for one second think that this story is about Paul. Paul has done work that was well worth the cost. We too are called to work and it's work that is well worth the cost. It's my hope that we will galvanize together, that we would come out here today ready to serve, ready to tell people about Jesus, ready to pass out Bibles, all of these things, maybe beginning even this very afternoon to better accomplish the work that there is for us to do, that we would toil together. But as we work, as we look at the life and the ministry of Paul, we must come to the awesome realization that we are not the catalyst for production, the energy to work, nor the growth from the efforts we put in come from us, but the energy and the growth come from Christ who powerfully works within us. For this I toil, struggling with all whose energy? Christ. He powerfully works within me. As we go out on these missional endeavors, we do so by the very power of Jesus Christ. May we conclude this morning not to have big heads, but to be submitted, submissive to the Lord who saved us. May we say to God be the glory. It's his power. It's his energy. It's his growth. We are wonderfully and joyously called to dwell upon him and to proclaim him. What a grace it is that he would allow us to serve him in such a manner. Let us not waste our life that he has given us to steward for his glory, but seek to give him glory in all things. Because all the good we do comes from him. What a joy it is to know he is powerfully working in all those who believe in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to come together this morning to look at your word, to proclaim your word. Lord, I pray that Christ is exalted in all the endeavors of our church, that as we 
have conversations with our community as we think about this little area of Clay's Ferry, Lord, and we think about our homes which you have placed us in, Lord. May we look for opportunities to proclaim you, to worship you through our conversations because you are worthy. Lord, it's my prayer that we would leave here today galvanized, committed to serve you as a body, not relying on our own power, not relying on our own strength, but relying on you, the God who saved us, Jesus, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed to pay for our sins. Lord, may we understand the seriousness of our sins and the grace it is that you would save us, that Christ would die for us. And may we live each moment in reflection of the grace that we have received, understanding that Christ dwells in us. Lord, it's my prayer that you are glorified today. We thank you for building our church, for bringing new member in. Lord, we ask that if you would use us to reach out to more, that more people would want to join in on our congregation, that we would joyfully do that. But Lord, we're not in the business of numbers. We're in the business of being faithful. And Lord, we give you all the glory in all that we do. Lord, I pray that you would use us for you. Bless us today. May we serve you and praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you rise for this hymn of response? Thanks for listening to this edition of the Durban Memorial Baptist Church Podcast. If you want to find out more about our church, you can check out www.durbanchurch.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can give us a call or text to 859-813-0369. Also, you can shoot us an email at brad at durbanchurch.org. Have a wonderful day and God bless.